wrapping up a three-week series today called Dangerous Prayers. And as we've mentioned the last couple weeks, it's not a series teaching us how to pray. It's not going through the Lord's Prayer or anything like that. It's looking at three dangerous prayers that we usually don't want to pray, that we usually don't pray, right? As we think about this, this eight months of the COVID thing and life being so crazy, I think it's driven a lot of people back to prayer. But in reality, most of our prayers are pretty self-centered, but, but not self-centered in the way that your toddler is self-centered, not self-centered in the way that your sister-in-law is self-centered, self-centered in that they're just kind of about us, right? They're, they're a need for our provision and our direction, our need for wisdom in this time. What, what do we do about school? What do we do about work? And so we ask God, for help with these things, provide in this way, direct us in this way. Uh, and so they're self-centered. And these dangerous prayers are very different from that, right? The, these dangerous prayers, the first week we talked about praying, search me, God. Psalm 139, search me and know my heart. There, there's things that you already know about me, but dig in there and reveal them to me. What are my fears? What are my anxieties? What are the places in my life where I'm not fully leaning into you and trusting in you? And similarly, what Where's the sin in my life? What's, where's the sin that maybe I'm not aware of, maybe that I've been ignoring? Maybe it's sin that people have been bringing, trying to bring to my attention, that God has been trying to bring to my attention, that I just haven't done anything with. So search me, God. Reveal those things, and then lead me back to your path. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of Jesus. And then week two, last week, we talked about praying the prayer, very dangerous prayer, break me. Break me. Take the areas of my life that have been too much about me, that have been too much in the wrong direction, maybe that haven't even been focused enough on you and break me of those things, God. Take me to a place where all I have left to stand on is you. But in, even in those moments when we are broken, sometimes God chooses to answer that dangerous prayer or sometimes he chooses to do it even without us asking and it feels difficult and it hurts and it creates pain in our lives and it upsets the things that we enjoyed about being normal and it takes us from something good and helps us experience something better in him. And so these are dangerous prayers. These are prayers that will change. If God steps in, if God answers the prayer in a tangible way, it will take things that we are used to. It will take things that we're comfortable with and mess with our lives in a very big way. So today is kind of along those same lines as we wrap up with the third dangerous prayer. Because most other prayers, including to some degree, week one and two, search me and break me, most other prayers require a solution, right? It requires uh, someone to step in with an answer. It requires God to step in. It requires God through someone else working on our behalf, speaking into our lives, doing something for us. Most dangerous prayers require a solution, but today's dangerous prayer says, I will be the solution, I'll be the one who goes. I'll be the one who steps in. I'll be the one who becomes an answer to someone else's prayer. I'll be the answer to someone else's need. Today's dangerous prayer is a prayer of availability. Available to a new calling, maybe a new city, maybe a new job. Available to experiencing a new healthier, Christ-like kind of relationship, available to a new serving opportunity, available to a new way of living in your home, a, a new way of living within your community. Today's prayer is a prayer of availability. And we're going to take a quick look at three different individuals who all uh, kind of had an opportunity to respond to God's call because it's, it really is an ongoing call that God is speaking into our lives and calling us to new things and better things and things that are more like him than we are right now. And so this, it's this ongoing call and he's saying, 
Who will go? Who will step up? Who will stand in the gap? Who will respond to my leading? And so these three individuals all experience that call, all experience some uh, leading from God, from within, audibly. I don't know how he spoke to each of these people, but they all responded in three very different ways. First one is a guy named Jonah, right? We know Jonah, Jonah in the whale. Jonah was a prophet who God reached out to in some way and said, I want you to go to Nineveh, this large city, this dangerous city in the middle of the Assyrian Empire. And he said, I want you to go, and I have a message for them that I want you to deliver. So right at the beginning of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1, we find out how this scenario unfolded, Jonah 1.1. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. I don't know if this was audible. I don't know if he approached him in human form. I don't know what this looked like. But somehow, God spoke to Jonah. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Because its wickedness has come up before me. So this is a pretty big calling, right? This is... This is a pretty tremendous opportunity for Jonah. There is so much evil within this city, which makes it kind of a scary proposition, but at the same time, so much potential in what God was asking him to do. Jonah, their response to your words will mean the difference between salvation and total destruction, right? That is a pretty big calling. That's a pretty big thing that is being asked of Jonah, and yet a huge opportunity to be a part of something big that God wants to do, a huge message that God wants to deliver. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah ran away. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. Jonah's response was, here I am, I'm not going. Here I am, I'm not going. I wonder how many of us have been there. Maybe not to the sense where you have a message of total destruction, but how many of us have been in that moment where we've sensed God calling, maybe sensed God leading us, prompted to reach out, prompted to say something, prompted to do something or go somewhere, and we chose not to do it, chose not to go, chose not to say it. I've got too much going on don't have enough time. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough resources. I think I hear you. I think I know what you're getting at. I think I know what you want me to do. And here I am. I'm not going. That was Jonah's response. Second individual, another that you know very well, is a guy by the name of Moses, right? We know Moses as the one who kind of... uh, through the plagues upon Egypt on God's behalf and, and, and led them across the Red Sea, gave them the Ten Commandments. But what about before all that, right? Where did this interaction with God start? Well, we go back to the burning bush, which we know so well from Exodus chapter 3. And Moses has an opportunity there similar to the opportunity that Jonah had. In Exodus 3, starting in verse 7, it says, The Lord said, and he's speaking out of a burning bush that is not being consumed. This is a pretty intense situation. The Lord said, I have indeed heard the misery of my people in Egypt. 
I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now, Moses, go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? So that we're talking about centuries of slavery of the Israelite people. And now, after centuries of praying, centuries of crying out, God has heard, and it's time to fulfill the promises that he made to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. What a calling for Moses. What an opportunity to be a part of something four centuries in the making. And God says, I want you, I, Moses, I'm going to do it. I just want you to lead it. I want you to be the mouthpiece. I want you to be the one that takes the first step. I'm going to do this great thing, and I want you to be the front man. And Moses said, I mean, I mean, who, I mean, who am I? Like, why would they believe me? I, I'm, I'm not much of anyone. You know, if you read the original Hebrew, he says, I ain't talk good, right? He, he has all these reasons why he shouldn't be the one to do what God is asking. We get a little bit more of his response because over the next chapter or so, they go back and forth. Well, God, I'm not very good at this. Well, don't worry about that. I'm going to do this. Well, God, I don't have these skills. Well, don't worry about it. I'm going to give you someone who has those skills. God, I don't know the first step. Don't worry about it. I'm already there. This back and forth. And then finally, here's what Moses says in chapter 4, verse 12. God says, now go. I'll help you speak, and I'll teach you what to say. I'm going to take care of all the details. But Moses said, by the way, you've noticed Jonah and Moses, their response starts with a but or however. If your response starts with that, you might have an issue. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please, here I am, but send someone else. Send someone else. What about my brother Aaron? He's got all these skills that I'm lacking. What about someone else? I'm not the right person. I'm just a man. I'm, I'm a busy man. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a teenager. I'm, I'm just starting to learn this faith thing. I don't have a great handle on scripture. There's probably someone with less issues than me, less baggage than I'm carrying from my past. They have less kids than I have. They have less responsibilities to worry about throughout the week. Here I am. Please just... Send someone else. You ever been there? I have. So we've seen Jonah. Here I am. I'm not going. We've seen Moses. Here I am. Hey, this sounds cool, but please send someone else. And then we have a third person that we need to look at. A different type of response. This is the prophet Isaiah. And a prophet was someone who would speak for God. God would give them a message and he would deliver it to the people. And oftentimes it was in the other direction where they would send a message from the people to God and, and express their emotions. And, and Isaiah comes along at a time where God was pretty tough to nail down. Right? You come through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the, the, the forefathers and God had these regular interactions with them and it's this powerful time. And now as Isaiah is coming onto the scene, God is a little bit more distant in some ways, mostly because of the disobedience of his people. His, the, the people of Israel are going through this roller coaster ride of obedience and blessing, 
distancing themselves, disobedience, and experiencing a curse, oftentimes exile. And so Isaiah comes on the scene, and God reaches out looking for someone to take a message. So in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Again, what a calling. What, what an opportunity for a man like Isaiah. God needed someone to speak. God needed someone faithful. God needed someone who will step up. God has a message for his people, and he just needs a messenger. A word of prophecy, a word of encouragement, a word of conviction, a word of blessing. Someone who can go on God's behalf and say, this is what is, this is what will be. What an opportunity. What does Isaiah say right after that? He doesn't say, I'm not going. He doesn't say, send someone else. Who will go for us? And I, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. Here I am, send me. I don't know if he heard the audible voice of God. I don't know if he just felt it, uh, a calling, a prompt, a move of the spirit, a voice in his heart, a voice in his gut. I don't know if he just noticed the need, but it wasn't, here I am, let's talk about the details. Here I am, what's, what's the pay? How much time is going to be required of me? What's step two, three, four, five? No, what Isaiah had said, he said, send me, and what he did in a very figurative way, was he signed a blank check and handed it over to God. He signed an empty contract and said, fill it out however you wish. Send me. You ever been there? If so, then you know the emotions in a moment like that, the power of a response like that. It's an amazing place to be, but how do we get there? Right? Because a great figure like Jonah wasn't there. A great figure like Moses wasn't there. And so what brought Isaiah to that place where he could respond, send me? What do we need in order to fully surrender and offer that dangerous prayer to God? Well, if we jump back a couple verses towards the beginning of chapter 6, I think we see a few things that Isaiah was experiencing that led him to this point where he was ready to say, send me. So back to uh, the beginning of chapter 6. Um, I think three things that Isaiah experienced and, and realized that we need to experience and realize if we're going to get to this place where we're willingly in our heart ready to say, send me. First one is in chapter 6, and I think, uh, I think I just gave verse 1 to the slides. I kind of changed my mind a little bit this morning, but I'm going to go through verse 4. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. High and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And there were seraphim, angels, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. The first thing Isaiah had is he had a genuine experience, a genuine encounter with the presence of God. 
I saw the Lord. I saw angels. I, I, I saw his throne. I experienced his glory and his majesty. And it was, it was this incomparable worship experience that Isaiah was having. And the, this experience, I believe, was a major factor in Isaiah being open to what God might want to do in and through him. If you're having trouble hearing, if you're having trouble making yourself available to God's calling, I think it's possible that you've never truly or maybe never recently had a powerful experience with the presence of God. When was the last time you had just a powerful time of worship? I don't don't care if that's in this room or some other place or at some worship concert or in your car uh, with just the volume cranked on your favorite worship band or Andy Griffith sings the hymns. I don't care what it is. When was the last time that you just had that moment of just, man, I'm just going to lift my voice and just recognize the power and the presence of God in my life and in this place. When was the last time you had that type of worship experience? When was the last time you had an unfiltered time of just thanksgiving? Where you're on your knees, you're on your face before God. God, I, I ask for a lot, I complain about a lot, but God, thank you for this spouse you've given me. Thank you for these children you've given me. Thank you for this roof over my head. Thank you for the provision. Thank you for the direction. Thank you for the wisdom that you can... Just unfiltered Man, God, thank you, bless you, praise you. Just a time of thanksgiving. When was the last time you had uninterrupted time in the Word? Time to read your favorite passage, time to read a new passage, to dig apart, to stop at that Word and say, man, I don't understand why that Word is there. Why does it say that? Let me look that up. Let me Google that. Let me check with my pastor. Let me check with my small group. What, what is this doing? Why is God bringing this to my attention? A time to just pour over and pray over and journal and meditate over God's word uninterrupted. When was the last time you had a chance to get away? Get away from work. Get away from the craziness of Monday through Friday, the craziness of your schedule and everything else and just you and God, maybe you and another person and God and just Get away and let him speak into your life and you can talk back and have that intimate fellowship with him. When was the last time you experienced that? As I was kind of thinking through some of this, I realized that um, this, this time of year, um, we're, we're a hunting family and so just growing up ever since I was a little kid in the fall, we were always disappearing and off in the woods by yourself hours at a time and realizing um, as, as much as, you know, throughout the year, I, tr- I try to get away and take a, take a normal work day and just disappear and just sit with scripture or sit with a time of worship and, and get away with Jesus and, you know, sometimes a two-day thing. But looking back, it's, it, it seems like the fall has always been my healthiest season, even before I understood why. Just kind of hunting season has kind of always been that guarantee of a lot of alone time, right? Time where God can speak into my life and I can read and give him a chance to mess with me and I can argue back and and things like that but it's probably no coincidence and I realize that the major decisions in my life the major moments where I've responded obediently to what God was asking maybe finally hearing what he was asking has been in the fall I I did my first year of college at Eastern Michigan I was going to be a history teacher I was going to teach and coach, right? That's, that's what I wanted to do. And a couple months in, felt like God was calling me to ministry and go a different direction. And I heard it, I knew it, and I made that decision in the fall. 
years later, Kathy and I, we were serving at a church over in the Grand Rapids area, and, and things were going well, and some different things went down, and we just felt like God was calling us to a different ministry, a different role, and we made that decision confidently and obediently in the fall. And then we were in that ministry, and, and uh, for whatever reason, God kind of started bringing new ideas to our brain, and, and years later, and, and felt like, maybe, man, are we supposed to start a church? And we wrestled with it all summer, and then we made the decision to obey in the fall. Probably no coincidence that in that season, when I'm regularly away, when I'm regularly getting away and experiencing the presence of God, that I was finally able to listen and not only hear, but respond in an obedient fashion. For other people, it's probably those powerful moments of worship where you just, God starts to speak and he starts to move in your life. Maybe it's prayer meetings. Maybe, it's a re- maybe for you, it's retreats, right? You, you went on a youth retreat when you were younger. You went on a ladies retreat or a men's retreat, things like that. And dear Jesus, give us those back, right? Let us get away with people again someday. Because sometimes God speaks in those moments. Why? Because, because our boss isn't there and our employees aren't there and our teachers aren't there and our, sometimes our parents aren't there bugging us, right? And we can get away and all of a sudden, it's just us and some friends and God has room to speak and we have room to say, man, as I, now that I'm away from all that garbage, this is what God wants me to do. That's what I need to do. It's not a coincidence that so many of our callings and our responses come in the midst of those moments when we have a genuine encounter with the presence of God. So that's the first one that Isaiah experienced. Second one, not only an experience with the presence of God, but a genuine awareness of your weaknesses. Interesting thing happens when we come into the presence of God. Look what happens to Isaiah uh, in verse 5. So that all of this is happening, the angels and the smoke and the things shaking. He says, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He says, I've seen his power, I've seen his glory, I've seen his majesty, I've had this encounter, and oh my gosh, compared to what I'm seeing, compared to what I'm experiencing... I am pathetic, I am sinful, I am unworthy. I think to have a healthy, obedient response to God's leading, we have to have a proper perspective of who we are without him in our lives. It's a humility in the knowledge of who we are compared to God, where we recognize, man, God, without you, I am lost. Without you, I am nothing. But this is different than Moses and Jonah, because they felt like nothing. They recognized their weaknesses, and they had their insecurities, and it drove them away from what God was calling them. But this is different. This is a different recognition of weakness. This is a different recognition. This is a different type of humility, because as he's having a genuine understanding of who he is without God, that leads to the next thing, verses 6 and 7. He says, then one of the seraphim, one of the angels flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he said, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. In the midst of a genuine experience with God, in the midst of recognizing who we are in our lowly state, in his presence, we also find a genuine understanding of God's grace. On my own, it's not enough. I'm sinful. I'm weak. 
But God, you've taken care of all that. You've taken your grace and you've put it on me. You've taken your righteousness and you've accredited it to me. And so praying and responding with send me, this dangerous prayer, it requires an understanding that although we're nothing compared to God, because of his grace, our potential is limitless. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Our sin, our failures, our weaknesses that we recognize in response to God, they're taken away. I don't bring anything to the table because Jesus brings everything to the table. It's a hard prayer to pray. Send me. I'm available. I'm ready. Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? In 2010, uh, I had an opportunity to lead a group of students on a missions trip to Sao Paulo, Brazil, one of the largest cities in the world, just amazing, amazing city. And on, I think it was the second to last night, we were having dinner, um, kind of a rooftop restaurant, one of the tallest, city, uh, tallest buildings in the city. And as you're standing on the top of this building, you look out, and it's like a, it's like a wall of city. It reminded me of, um, I haven't seen them lately, but when I was a kid, they used to have these pictures where you look at it, and you, you cross your eyes, and all of a sudden, this 3D image comes out, and it kind of makes you dizzy. Like, the city looked like that. It was kind of laid out like this weird 3D digital portrait. Um, pretty, pretty amazing. And then just in that moment, I remember kind of, standing at the wall, looking out at this ginormous city. And I said, God, do you want me to come back? Am I supposed to come back here? Do you, do you want us to serve here? Now, that's an extra dangerous prayer because I hadn't said anything to my wife about it. She was back home uh, with a 10-month-old and pregnant with another one. And so uh, if she knew I was praying that, she would have choked me to death. But I, honestly, it wasn't an overly spiritual moment. It was pretty off the cuff. I pr- felt honestly kind of goofy about it later, like, man, that was stupid. God might have said yes. But after this 10 or 12 days in this amazing new country, this amazing new city, interacting with people and seeing what God was doing, I, was, I had had this special, amazing encounter with God, like he was there with us. And in the midst of that in, in the midst of his bigness and the, the ginormous nature of this city, I was experiencing and aware of my smallness, and I was aware of his power and his grace in my life, and just said, hey, if, if you want me here, send me. And we've been in Brazil ever since. No, that's not true. We've never been back. But it's still a huge moment in my life where that mindset, that moment with God, it still kind of influences me to this day, 10 years later. But why is it so hard to pray that, right? Why did it take a 12-day amazing experience to get my brain and my heart to that moment where I might say, do you want us to go into missions? Do you want us to go to Brazil? Do you want us to go somewhere else? And, And so here's why we won't pray this dangerous prayer. We won't pray this dangerous prayer for various reasons. One, that maybe you have a comfort idol. Someday I'll preach on, on some of these random things and comfort idol is one where we just have this natural, sinful craving for the status quo and our own comfort. Maybe there's not enough details for us. Maybe it feels too risky. Maybe we're happy with how things are. Maybe, maybe we don't know the second thing to say, right? God has something he wants us to say to someone or take with to someone. And we don't know where the conversation goes from there. And so 
We might know how to start the conversation, but the second part makes us a little bit nervous, right? Or maybe, honestly, maybe we don't really care what God wants. Lots of reasons why we don't pray this dangerous prayer. But what could happen if you do pray, send me? What if you did pray that? The team's going to come, and we're going to experience another time of communion this morning. But, but, but if you were willing to pray, send me, on, there's some big things that could happen, right? If you prayed, send me, he might ask you to give all of your money away. He might ask you to adopt a child. He, he might ask you to move to a new house or, or jump into a new career, jump into a new life that allows for his calling to thrive in your life. You, you might experience something life-changing. You might have an opportunity to impact someone else's life or another family or impact your community for the kingdom. He might ask you to live a life of service far away. He might ask you to turn your present job into a mission field. There's some big things, life-changing, apple cart upsetting things that God might do in response to saying, God, here I am, send me. But at the very least, keep in mind, he didn't send us to Brazil. It's not always going to be the big thing this time or right now. But at the very least, you're going to walk away with a heart that's genuinely willing to go, willing to do, willing to be. And at the very least, it creates a stepping stone for future moments, future callings that God might bring to your life. And at the very least, it's going to create a heart that's closer to that of the heart of Christ. And maybe some other time, sometime in the future, when God comes calling, it'll be a little bit easier because you've already gotten your heart over the toughest hurdle, that willingness to say, send me. We're going to enter into a time of communion. We've done it each week of this series, and um, if, you, if you didn't grab any of those things at, at the table back there, and I just want to encourage you, maybe in this moment, in, in the first week, you said, maybe you need to pray, search me. God, reveal the things that I'm unaware of in my life that you want to mess with. Maybe last week we said, hey, maybe you need to pray, break me, God. Maybe there's things I'm not even aware of, and you just need to reveal them and then break me of that pride, break me of that sin, break me of that in unhealthy pursuit, break me of my lack of trust and you, maybe this week, you need to pray, God, I'm ready, send me. And if you're not there, maybe you need to consider, okay, what's, what's holding me back from truly, honestly, vulnerably praying, here I am, send me. One thing to keep in mind in all that, the band sings this song, it's called Captain. In the midst of all this, in the midst of these dangerous prayers that we may or may not be willing to offer up, God is the one leading and guiding, and he's out there in the mystery waiting for you, and he's out there in the scary stuff waiting for you. He's out there in the uncertainty waiting for you, waiting for your attention, waiting for your willingness to respond. Say, God, I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know where the ship is sailing, but send me. Take me with you. Help me to get on board with what you're doing. As they sing, just sit and enjoy, pray, process I'll be back up in a couple minutes to lead us through the elements.